0: But I do have a final word for us here. Um, You can turn to Mark 9. um, And I'll read for us verses 38 through 41. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Amen. So one in Christ begins with local church unity that we spoke of this morning, but it absolutely does not end there as if unity in your own church is difficult enough, we have to consider the fact that your church is not the only community of Christians that exists. Um, You know those churches in your town? They have Christians there too. (laughs) And so we must not only consider local church unity, but ecumenical unity as well. And the truth of the matter is that this typically doesn't come to mind when we think of unity in Christ, does it? We typically only think of our uh, small community of friends, um, perhaps most broadly, just our local church. This is what we think of when we think of unity in Christ, and there's a reason why this is. Dan reminded me uh, yesterday or two days ago of a story I recently shared in a sermon that I think will help um, illustrate what I mean. Uh, one of my sons is entering into the phase where he loves to draw pictures for me. And uh, so he gave me one recently and then asked the question that every parent fears when their kid gives you a picture, Daddy, can you tell what this is? And, um, you know, I'm looking at it, I couldn't tell much, except there was a boy in the picture uh, with curly hair wearing a uh, UK shirt, U- University of Kentucky shirt. And my son has curly hair, and he's a big UK fan. And so I said, oh, well, it's you. And he said, oh, come on, Daddy. I said, no, this is you. And he said, no, that's not me. I said, well, who is it? And he seemed surprised. And he's like, you, you can't tell who that is. And so I'm looking at it, and I just can't put it together. And I said, man, I, I'm sorry. This just looks just like you. And he said, oh, come on, Daddy. That's Jesus. I said, Jesus? He said, yeah, look, he's walking on water. And uh, (laughs) granted, there was a blue line underneath the curly-headed UK Jesus. (laughs) I said, buddy, do you think Jesus looks like you? And he said, well, of course. (laughs) If that's not a window into the human heart, I don't know what is. God made us in his own image, but since the fall image, we craft a God in our own image, We craft a God who believes what we believe, loves what we love, hates what we hate, judges the way we judge, and so forth. And we don't just do this as individuals, we do this as communities. We think our church, our denomination, our tradition, we have the market cornered on God. We, the blessed and holy PCA, we are the truest denomination. (laughs) You're proving my point, brother. that your church, the truest church in your community. We talked last night about unity in the small C church. I want to talk about unity in the big C church. First, an important disclaimer. This disclaimer may not mean much to some of you, but just in case I have some Presbyterians in the room who have a particular affinity for the Book of Church order, this disclaimer is for you. Please do not bring me up on charges because of this talk. I am a Reformed Presbyterian. I subscribe to the Westminster Confessions of Faith. I believe in covenant theology. I believe in covenant baptism. I'm a Calvinist. Five points. If there's a six, I'm sure I'd embrace that too. (laughs) I, Robert Cunningham, teaching elder at Creek Presbyterian Church, am a Presbyterian. Okay? But more than anything, I'm Catholic. Now, you can't see my manuscript. When I said Catholic, the word there is a lowercase c, and that matters a lot. The word Catholic with a lowercase c is an adjective. The word Catholic with an uppercase c is a title, Roman Catholic. Ironically, the term Roman Catholic is incredibly un-Catholic, as we will see in this talk. The word Catholic means universal. It began to be associated with the Christian movement in the second century because unlike other religions... Other religious movements, the Christian church, transcended common divides of race, ethnicity, nationality, class, gender. All barriers were being overcome. It wasn't a Jewish movement. It wasn't a Gentile movement. It wasn't a rich movement, a poor movement, a Roman movement, a Judean movement. It was a Catholic movement, a universal movement. They didn't know what to do with this movement. Our creed states that we believe in the Holy Lower Sea Catholic Church not the Holy Presbyterian Church, not the Holy American Church, not the Holy Middle Upper Class Suburban Evangelical Church. You believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Or do you? Do I? Because if you're anything like me, um, perhaps there is a disconnect between the confession that we recite and our personal practices. I confess belief in a Catholic church, but functionally live like my congregation, Tays Creek Presbyterian Church, happens to be the truest church of all churches. I would never talk that way. You would never talk that way, but we are all tempted that way, and it's ugly, and it's the issue before us in our passage. Two things here. We're going to look at struggle with Catholicity and then reasons for Catholicity. So our struggle with this concept of a Catholic church and then reasons we can embrace the Catholic church. So let's start with our struggle with Catholicity. Verse 38, John said to him, Teacher... We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. That little phrase, because he was not following us, is so telling, is it not? It speaks to the struggle we all have, which becomes the barrier to to a true ecumenical unity. Simply put, we are tempted to place our movement at the center of God's movement. Again, sinners tend to recreate God in our own image and view everything through the lens of that remade image. Now, you're probably familiar with this on an individual level, but we need to recognize is that sin has social implications as well. It's not just individuals who bear the mark of the fall, but institutions and societies, cultures, groups, even families have the tendency to do the same. In other words, I, as a sinner, tend to prioritize myself above all else. And communities of sinners tend to prioritize their group above all else. This is the fundamental flaw of self-exaltation that takes over everything that we touch. It's at, the, it's at the root of racism, sectarianism, tribalism, and yes, in many ways, denominationalism. Even the noblest of communities, the 12 disciples of Jesus here, cannot escape this social tendency. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And here's the obvious tragedy, the text, that needs to be pointed out. They have actually placed themselves, their group, their community, over causes that are infinitely more important. We saw someone casting out demons in your name and tried to stop him. What? Why on earth would you stop that? Are you a fan of demons? Do you enjoy the advancement of evil? Why would you try to stop him? Because he wasn't with us. And let's be honest, we know exactly what that's like. Pastors in this room, you know what it's like. And you repent of it, and you renounce it, and you hate it in you, but you know what it's like to view the churches in your city as competition. We know what it's like to struggle with celebrating God blessing other movements while our movement is struggling. It's within us all. This insidious form of pride runs so deep. I once had a person, our, our vision for our church is the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass. And we pray for revival in the bluegrass often. And I once had one of my elders ask me a question, would you celebrate the revival of the bluegrass if TCPC, our church of TCPC, wasn't, it wasn't leading that movement. In fact, TCPC tanked. But the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass took off. And I had to test my heart there. Could I, handle, could I handle pastoring a failing church while revivals taking a place in my city? It's so deep, it's so invasive, it's so tempting. And Jesus recognizes that. He knows that this is a big struggle for his followers. And so what he does here is he gives us reasons, he gives us a response to the tendency within us with reasons why, as difficult as it is for this ecumenical unity, we can lay down our tribalism. And truly embrace the Catholic spirit. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. These three reasons for Catholicity. Verse 39, Jesus said, do not stop him. So clearly Jesus is okay with this other guy casting out demons in his name. But he doesn't just leave it there. He then builds an argument for why they should be okay with it too. And he gives them three reasons. There are the three fours. There's a a, do not stop him four in verse 39, 40, and 41. Those fours are his three arguments, I'm going to sum them up this way. The orthodoxy, of, and I'm just going to use the language of the creed. The orthodoxy of the Holy Catholic Church, the complexities of the Holy Catholic Church, and the blessings of the Holy Catholic Church. Let's look at each of those. The orthodoxy of the Holy Catholic Church. There's a good and noble reason why we have concerns about Catholicity and ecumenical work. Won't it lead to compromised theology? Won't it lead to a compromised orthodoxy? Well, no is the answer, as long as you allow your orthodoxy to be formed by how Jesus forms it. The reason you can embrace Catholicity without fear is because it does not deny orthodox theology. It just ensures that Jesus alone is the line of orthodoxy. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, do not stop him. Here's our first four. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Here's what he's saying. Don't worry about him. Why? He's not speaking evil of me. If it's truly of me, then he won't speak evil of me. If it's not of me, then eventually we will know because he will speak evil of me. So what's the point of delineation? What's the line in the sand that we take? The hill that we are going to die on of orthodoxy according to Jesus. It is himself. What do you have to say about Jesus and his gospel? The dividing line has and always will be Jesus. It's not to say there isn't more to orthodox theology. There is, but at the end of the day, orthodoxy does come down to Christology. What do you believe about the person and work of Jesus? We unite together with, we lock arms with, we celebrate, we sacramentally fellowship with those who believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only way of salvation. Historically speaking, every heretical movement is, is a delineation from Jesus, either his identity or his gospel. And that must be our line in the sand as well. We love our distinctives. I love our distinctives. We teach our distinctives. We celebrate our distinctives. But we do not canonize our distinctives as orthodoxy. Jesus says, if he isn't speaking evil of me, then let him do his work. If he's not one of us, eventually he will be exposed because he will speak evil of me. Until then, until then let him be. So there is an orthodoxy to the Catholic Church. The complexity of the Catholic Church, verse 40. For the one who is not against us is for us. I just think that is such a brilliant way to put it. It makes this conversation far more complex. It's messier than we like it to be. It's not as easy as if you're um, the old saying of if you're not for us, you're against us. Jesus says if you're not against us, you're for us which broadens out our definition of exactly who is for Jesus. There are people who don't do things our way, but they aren't against us, which means they're for our Jesus. There are people who disagree with us on some things, some things that we, are, we think are very important to us, but they aren't against us, which means they're for us. Do you know what Jesus is blessing here? Denominations. Seriously. People think denominations are a bad thing. Denominations aren't a bad thing. They're a uniquely Christian thing. All other religions seek a a rigid uniformity, and any delineation becomes a contest for which is the true religion. So Sunni and Shiite Muslims do not view each other as denominations of the same religion. They are violently violently contesting for who is true Islam. Never confuse Catholicity with uniformity. We talked a little bit about that last night. That's what's so ironic about the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church does not practice Catholicity its practices uniformity one true church one true way one true tradition that's not catholic catholicity is not uniformity it's the harmony that i spoke of last night different parts playing the same song in their own unique way passionate about their part but celebrating others that are playing the same gospel song that's so much more glorious and beautiful than everybody being forced to play the same thing So denomination is a good thing, a uniquely Christian thing, as long as they are done with an ecumenical spirit, and that's where we struggle. For whoever is not against us is for us, so the complexity of the Holy Catholic Church. And then finally, I think this is the big one, the blessings of the Catholic Church. Verse 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now this is an interesting verse. I want to point out something that's easy to miss. Notice who is the subject and who is the direct object of that sentence. It's not if you give a cup to someone, it's whoever gives a cup of water to you. That's intentional. Jesus is turning it around on the disciples. And he's saying, you're assuming that he needs your help, but what if you need him? Jesus intentionally places his disciples as the needy ones. In this little one verse parable. And in so doing, he's trying to get them to understand it's not just that you should be okay with him, you need him. We need him. Catholicity is rooted in a fundamental belief that we need each other. When we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not just saying that we accept other traditions or that we even celebrate other traditions, we're saying we need them. We need these other traditions. Would you like for me to make you uncomfortable by getting specific how we need them? There were some, uh, I met some in the lobby, I met some Baptist brothers who were with us. Where are you? Yeah, yeah, you're loving this talk, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) Where would the church be without the Baptist passion for evangelism and mission? Where would the Great Commission be without Baptists? I mean, Dan is writing a curriculum on evangelism and dreaming about what that would mean for churches in the PCA. And the reason why he's having to do this is because we suck at it. We're not good at it. And then you've got this entire Great Commission Baptist Church going everywhere telling, I mean, everybody comes to my church um, to, as new members. They're all, they're all Baptists because they're evangelizing everybody. And they're coming to us. Where would we be without the Baptists? I live in Methodist world. Uh, Asbury Seminary is right down the road. Where would we be without the Ma- Methodist passion for holiness? their zeal for piety and virtue that is so lovely in the Wesleyan tradition. And, and me and my TCPC, grace-loving, verging on antinominialism, church, man, we need that rebuke from our Methodist brothers who love holiness and piety. We need to learn from Anglican's love of the means of grace and sacramental practices. There's an entire mystical communion with God that we've barely tasted that is available for us. If we could ever get out of the idolatry of our minds and go ask an Anglican to teach you how to practice the presence of God in this mystical union and sacramental practices. We need to learn from our charismatic brothers and sisters and their confidence in the Holy Spirit of God. They don't pray these timid, if it be thy will, prayers. They pray and expect the spirit of God to move. I wish I lived that way. I was talking to a charismatic brother once. He was talking to me about our doctrine of salvation, and we were talking about it. And I said, "What do you do with all these passages about God's sovereignty and predestination and election that are everywhere and unmistakable in Scripture?" I said, "What do you do with these passages?" And he said, "The same thing you do with the passages about the Holy Spirit." <laughs> Now listen, I can go back through every one of those traditions and point out deficiencies, ways they could learn from us, but that's not the point of the passage is the point I'm making. The point of the text is that perhaps the body of Christ doesn't need us. Perhaps we need them. I'm very happy where I am as a PCA minister. I plan to go to my grave as a Reformed Presbyterian, unless the dispensationalists are right, and I'll get raptured up as a Reformed Presbyterian. I don't know. (laughs) I love the PCA. I love my church, TCPC, even more. But at the same time, I will humbly admit that my church is not the perfect church and we need each other. Boy, wouldn't it be good, wouldn't it be great to be a church that has the evangelism of the Baptists and the piety of the Methodists and the spirit confidence of the Charismatics and the sacramental life of the Anglicans and all these things I'm talking about. Wouldn't it be great to have a church that combined the strengths of them all Well, the point of the Catholic Church is you do have that. The powerful, mighty institution filled with all the gifts and talents and traditions of all God's people, every tongue, tribe, every nation, the one holy Catholic Church of Jesus Christ against which the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what Jesus came to do, to build his church. And that's why Jesus died for his church. At the end of the day, we are Catholic because Jesus is Catholic little c. He has come with universal intentions. Let me go to the end of the story to close in Revelation, where Jesus prays in the upper room for us to be one and united together in him. Let's go to the end when his prayer is finally answered. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a singular kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. We are Catholic because the blood of Jesus is Catholic. My son drew a picture of Jesus who looks like him. We laugh at that, but that's actually not entirely untrue. What God saw in Jesus hanging from the cross was me, And you, and also every tongue, tribe, and nation, all sins, all shame, all regret, all of his people, all of it, he became it. A Catholic sacrifice. And we dare not insult his sacrifice by not embracing and celebrating the fullness of his sacrifice. Let us celebrate the Catholicity of the church. Let us welcome it. Let us fellowship with it. Work together, unite together. Let us rejoice in the one holy Catholic Church for which Jesus Christ died. Let me pray, Lord. I pray that you would grant this in our cities, would our would our communities, would our communities look out and see what a strange group of people. Yes, united together in their churches, but united together for one gospel cause. This is how revival comes, Lord. We see it historically. It's unmistakable. It's when we lay down our tribalism, lock arms together, and, and with one song, the gospel song, get to work together as a unified body of Jesus Christ. Often it's in times of crisis where your church has come together, and in many ways we're facing that. Maybe we respond to the crisis not by feeding it, not by joining it, but renouncing it by joining together with fellow brothers and sisters towards the cause of Jesus Christ, who will indeed, we do pray, come Lord Jesus, who will indeed unite all things together as one in Christ. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this time, and we pray in your name. Amen.